This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic six years from my last drink. My sobriety is such a huge part of who I am. I decided that I needed to help others find their voice and share their journey too. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head on over to thesobrietydiaries.com where you can join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending part of your day with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. We are continuing our remastered series today as we look back on some of our earlier episodes of the podcast. We are approaching our one-year anniversary, believe it or not, here on the Sobriety Diaries, and I've really been reflecting on how far we've come and what I've learned and the amazing, powerful conversations that I've had with so many beautiful people over the last year. So I decided to pull some episodes out of the vault and remaster them The podcast, of course, has evolved since we've started, and I've adopted sort of a new format and a new theme, so some of these earlier episodes sound a bit different, so I took the time to re-edit and remaster them, and I wanted to share them again with you and revisit some of my favorite conversations. So let's open the diary on another remastered episode from the Sobriety Diaries Vault. Let me start, if I can, by asking how you identify. I am a queer trans man. I That's pretty much how I identify. I've yeah. been a lot of things in life, but that's Gosh, pretty much all? where I'm settled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> been yeah, called a, a lot ride, worse right? too <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> what inspired you to to where we are here today talking to one another honestly um i think that i consider myself just living proof that um sharing your story works because i i think that i got to where i am today just from hearing from people before me and hearing uh, people that were in the same situations as I was. Um, I think that's really important just to get the stories out there. Um, And I think you're doing something really important because just hearing them um, inspires me to talk more about my own and um, maybe it'll inspire somebody else to talk about it as well, you know? Yeah. I'm sure that it will. I just looked at my monitor and between like your flag and 
my queer brick wall, it's like just a show oh, yeah. in here today. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a pride edition. Oh, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> With that said, let's sort of walk through your story together. If we can sort of frame things as it relates to being queer and how that sort of played into your addiction. And let's start with your journey, Brie. I think it's important just to let you know that this is like the first time that I'm verbally speaking about um, a lot of these things and experiences. I mostly do it on Instagram via like captions and stuff like that. So most of what I do is like written words and, um, I feel a lot more comfortable that way. So I apologize if I'm fidgety and a little shaky with my delivery, but, um, I also didn't, I think sitting down and recounting all these steps really kind of opened my eyes to how early in my sobriety I still am Mm -hmm. as well. You know, I'm 76 days sober today. Um, and I think it takes a lot of, thank you. It takes a lot of time to really uncover the traumas that you experience throughout those years um, that you're going through, you know, that you don't sometimes even remember. Like a lot of my time I spent sitting down with this, I, there was just big gaps in time because you just forget with yeah. all the times you're blacked out and everything, you know? So Absolutely. Um, putting these together was like a, a puzzle for me. Um but if I can just interject for one second, I think that it is such an important story to tell being 76 days sober and your story is your story. And I know that you will help someone. So if you just take a deep breath and we're just here to speak our truth and yeah. you're going to do amazing, but know that I asked you to be here for a reason. So thank you. So I would say that a lot of my uh, my queer beginnings started very early in life. Um, I was, you know, raised in a Catholic family. Uh, all three of us went to Catholic school, kindergarten through 12th grade. We went to church every weekend as a family, every holy day of obligation, you know, we didn't skip a beat in our house. Um, So much so to like the point where my family was convinced that I was a, I was going to be a nun when at one point, like that's how devoted I was to, (laughs) to um, follow the same that my family was, you know, it was important to me to, um, my dad was my best friend, you know, I loved being like making him proud. So that was, um, that was one thing that kind of like sticks with me throughout my whole journey. Um, because, uh, my dad was an alcoholic, but he never was when I was, um, alive. He quit when I was one years old. Um, so I never was a witness to it, but I was warned my entire life, you know, this runs in the family, you know, this, don't start because you're never going to stop all those kinds of things. Um, So I think a lot of my traumas as like at a young age started when um, I was outed um, at 12 years old. Um, And that was not 
my own doing. Uh, my parents actually read a letter that was written to me that uh, obviously wasn't intended for their eyes, but they uh, kind of gathered and that was kind of a pivotal moment in my life where I just started to distance myself like completely. Like I felt so alienated um, because it was not something that I was exposed to in life. I didn't think that that was a possibility, you know? Yeah. Um, so I spent a lot of my life just imagining uh, for like those years where I would just like sit and just like dream. And I spent a lot of like my life reading books and staying in my room away from everybody because I wasn't really getting along with everybody at the time. You know, yeah. it was hard for me to be around them um, just because. I couldn't physically speak about it. I'm the type of person that when I am trying to talk about something, it like really manifests physically in me. Like I start to shake, you know, I get really nervous and that's what it was. It was just like, anytime I would try and talk to my family, it was just like the hardest experience in my life. So I just stayed silent, you know, and that was a common theme that I think all of us learned in my family was to just kind of bottle up our problems, bottle up the emotions because everybody else was going through a lot, you know, cause my dad, um, we found out he had cancer when I was in third grade. Um, so from that point on time became a very big thing in my life. Like I, I was constantly thinking about running out of time. Um, and I was only, what, like eight, nine years old. So yeah. I'm just sitting there struggling with this. And then when I came out at 12, I instantly started just putting blame on myself. I was just like, you know, I can't, how could I be doing this at a time when my family's going through so much, you know, like how, you know, am I causing my dad to be sicker because he's so stressed? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Was the letter written to you or were you writing it to someone else or was it like a diary entry? Or? It was written to me by a friend at the time who we were, um, we were just, we were close enough to where we were telling each other all about our life. You know, we yeah. were both, we were both queer, yeah. both like trying to figure things out. And she wrote me a letter while she was away in Florida or something. Yeah. And my mom read it without me even knowing. And, uh, you know, that was just, like I said, I think that kind of set me off on a path where I learned to bottle things up and not like get things off my chest. I just kept it all to myself. And I, um, I think that that maybe might've made me an alcoholic before I even was, like thinking about drinking anything, yeah. you know, I was an alcoholic far before I took my first drink. Mm -hmm. Once I started drinking with my friends, um, that's when things started getting out of control before I ever realized that they were out of control. And I think that's like the most dangerous thing about alcohol is just like, before you know it, you're 
functioning alcoholic and you didn't even realize you had a problem until like you've been drinking for five years. You know what I mean? And it's like in the blink of an eye, that's, yeah, that's kind of what began happening with me. I started this new job. Then I think I started going out more frequently just to kind of cope with that. But it was still at that point, wasn't that crazy. It was a few nights a week. Um, why not go out? Let's go out to the bar for dinner. You know, it's like just a vicious cycle that you get stuck in where more and more just leads to more and more. You know, I started therapy and this just kind of like unleashed like a whole slew of demons for me. And that mixed with booze was just a really awful combination because I just started like drinking instead of for fun I was drinking because I didn't want to feel the things I was feeling um I was like just lashing out a lot I was like starting fights with people uh running away like I would run away from the bars that we were at wow and I would just that was my response to everything was just like fight or flight. And I like realized that like through therapy, I like had a lot of trigger situations that I was just really hurtling myself into without realizing it. Like um, I had experienced sexual abuse in my life and I had just like lots of traumas in my early life that was really just coming out and kind of like making me face it once I was getting drunk. Like I had no control. I was just throwing myself right into it. Um, Almost like I needed to figure my shit out, you know? Yeah. And did you not remember those instances or you were just forced to deal with them, I guess, once therapy started? So those I honestly had like fully blocked out for a long time. Like I didn't remember details. I knew they happened, but I didn't remember, you know? And Mm -hmm. when I went to therapy, that's when I actually did like a inner child meditation in a therapy session. And it like messed me up. Like I relived a lot of things and it was not, I don't think I was prepared and I was in a state, um, with my addiction where I just was kind of right on the edge of the cliff. And I think it kind of pushed me right over. Mm. Um, So that was when I kind of needed, I just started shutting down more. And in order to even get myself to therapy, I needed to be drunk or I needed to get blackout drunk afterwards because I uncovered some stuff that just like hit, so hard that I, I just was a shell of a person afterwards, you know, and it was like the only thing that made me feel better. Um, but I, all through therapy, I never once mentioned alcohol. Like I never mm. thought I had a problem, you know, like still to this point, I didn't feel like I had a problem. Got it. And the therapist never brought it up. She never, re- I never really gave her the chance. Okay. I almost like I, when Guarded I, it. Uh, yeah. when I, yes. Yeah. You know how you like to oh, really yeah. tiptoe around the subject, um, <laughs> right. but that's what I did. I just, I made everything about everything other than what 
I needed it to be about. Um, and then at this time I was like becoming super depressed that I would never be able to like do something that I was like really passionate about. So like that was also like really weighing on me. Like all I've ever wanted was to help people in my life. Um, like it's been just something that like has been like deep in my core and I just have never known how to do it. There was obviously a lot going on in my head that I wasn't ready to deal with. Um, but the more that time went on, the more I stayed at home and my drinking started just being just me and Alicia sitting at home every night together, you know, and that was how, how we, we called it our mini vacation. You know, we yeah. worked so much. We worked almost six, sometimes seven days a week. And we, that small amount of time that we had after work, we called it the mini vacation because we needed just something to look forward to. And that's what alcohol did for me. Like I hear a lot of people like feel like they, lost time but I almost had this like sick twisted view that I gained time from it mm -hmm. like it slowed down my my time and I was able to enjoy it more but really I just wasn't doing anything yeah you know I totally get that I yeah. came home and just pounded booze after work for many many years mm -hmm. and just thought that I was just enjoying my time more thoroughly yeah. this way right and yeah and and really it's just for me at least yeah. was blacked out and not doing anything except sitting mm -hmm. on the couch and pounding vodka and smoking weed yeah i wasn't i was like a pedal to the metal you know drinker i was not somebody who could get to where i needed to be and enjoy myself i was like shot after shot after shot until i went through a whole half gallon you know what i mean damn yeah. and it was it was lot. It was lots. Like there would be times where I would wake up, I would go get home from work at like six or seven, be passed out by like eight, and then be blacked out till I woke up at like one a.m. and I'd still have to get up and like do a shot just because I was so messed up. Still, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just to get through, and like it was it was embarrassing, but still like, I didn't think I had a problem at, at that point. Did your fiance express any concern yet at this point? She did because we would drink hand in hand, but I was definitely worse. Like I, she could stop herself and I just couldn't. So I was finishing the bottle while she was like taking a nap, you know, right. and we were not at the point where either of us were like, we've got a problem. There was a point in time where I remember like wanting so badly to stop myself because I like declared in my own mind, like you're past like this point. Like you are, you need to make a change now or things are going to get worse. Mm. Um, but I still, I couldn't, couldn't do anything. You know, it was just continuously piling and piling and then um on top of that this is like when I finally like spoke it out loud like you know I might not be a girl you know mm -hmm. and at first 
I cut my hair all off. I had, I've had long hair my entire life. Um, but I always wanted to cut it off. I always wore it in a bun. You know what I mean? There was, I never liked to have long hair. Um, so I, one day finally like worked up the courage and I did it. And then once I did that, I started to be like, you know, what is this? What is this non-binary? You know, like that sounds kind of like what I feel, you know, like that's so interesting. I've never heard, never heard of her, you know, (laughs) like what's (laughs) what's this? And yeah. (laughs) And um, so that kind of like felt like a nice little slipper for a while, you know, like fit, but it, it was kind of still really hot and my foot was sweaty. You know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> yes. it didn't feel great, but it felt better than being a girl. Yeah. So I settled there for a while, but, um, is this news to Alicia as this is evolving? Yes. Okay. Yes. This is, this is me and her kind of like discovering this together. Like she, is the one who kind of helped me come to terms with all of this and kind of put things together for myself. Got it. Um, so we kind of were discovering all of these things together. And, you know, the more you discover, uh, the more things just start to click. For example, I like had this one just memory when I was like five years old of being in the car, in the backseat of the car, And I could only see like from my nose down in the mirror. And it was like the happiest I had ever been looking at myself. And it was because it looked like a little boy, you know, like I didn't have my long hair. I didn't have like anything other than like this little boy chin. And I remember loving it. And like, I think like the more that those realizations come about, like, the harder it started to get for me because I was just like, I started going through this like journey of like, Oh my God, like, why didn't I know sooner? Why didn't I like, I could have been so much happier so much sooner in my life, but I like just avoided this, this whole time, you know what I mean? And I was like kind of mad at myself for a while, but then I mean, obviously that's not like reasonable, you know, I talked myself out of it, but, um, it still just didn't like help. So I started having like these just panic attacks, you know, like all the time, like, uh, what am I, like, am I ever going to be happy? You know, like, like this is, this is something that made me feel better, but am I ever going to feel right? Like, I don't, I didn't feel like I could have like attained this happiness ever. That's when I think I got really bad. Um, like to the point where just leaving the house, I had to drink, you know, like that was just leaving the house was the occasion enough, you know, like going to visit my family. Um, I think like my most embarrassing moment was like being drunk as hell at a funeral Mm. and it was embarrassing you know like I can't believe I did that and it was all just because I didn't know how to deal with it 
And I never thought that I'd get there. So I think that's just says a lot about how strong addiction is, is just like, no matter what. We keep lowering our standards, right? To meet, Mm -hmm. to meet where we are. You know, I was raised with morals and standards and I just kept lowering the bar to, to meet myself where my actions were, uh, as opposed to looking at myself in the mirror and realizing that my actions weren't up to the standards and the morals that, that were within me. So yeah, I I get exactly what you're saying. And I too have been wasted at a funeral. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's, it's a pretty common thing, you know, but it's still, you know, like something no one wants to do. Yeah. That was like the point in my life where I just started being just really dangerous. Like I was driving everywhere, you know, I was, I was playing with fire. Like I would call myself the master of fire. And there was like one point where I, yeah, I like, I was tending to a fire in my backyard and the branch just came up and burned my entire arm. Like, you know, there's Mm. just stupid things that I would have never done in my life that I just chose to do time and time again. And, you know, I could have gotten myself into like some really awful situations or other people into some really awful situations. And like, that's stuff that I have to live with every single day. And I, I feel like that's kind of my motivating factor um, for staying sober. I just, I, I hate the fact that I've ever risked anybody's life or, put anybody in danger like that's just not me as a person and it it it, like makes me so upset with myself you know yeah all of my friends started to notice that I was just having some issues and you know I had some friends say stuff to me about it and you know how everybody reacts when they're not ready to hear it I was not I was not happy (laughs) hearing like those things you know and I pushed them away and I pushed almost everybody away you know I didn't see my family for a while because every time I would go around they'd be like are you drinking like my mom would do this thing where she would look me really hard in the eyes and just be like tell me tell me have you drank and I just like it made me feel so guilty Mm -hmm. that I just stopped going yes so I was just like I you know I can't and then like I just became lonely like so lonely that alcohol was my only friend the like but the best friend because it was always there I could walk right into the store no matter when and pick it up no judgment right 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 I'm (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I made friends with all my all my clerks at the store, you oh, know, yeah. they they knew they knew when I was coming in, mm-hmm. you know, and they just it, it's it just became a way of life to the point where sometimes you almost think like, hey, this is a life that I could get used to. This is a life I could live forever, you yeah. know, because it feels better than actually feeling the bad parts of life. Right. And Um, so I would do that for a long time. And then, uh, time like goes on long enough. And I started to, uh, make this drunk journal for myself. 
And it was my journal for when I would be blackout drunk. Like that's the only time I ever would touch it. It was like hidden away. And every time I would go in there, it was like a floodgate opened up and I felt all of the things that I would just like, just ball up and push away for the entire day. And it just all came out. And I just would feel the things finally that I was like having such a hard time coping with. Um, But then my, my journal became like this like place where the next morning I would always flip into it and expect something different. I don't know. I was like, let's see if it's happy today. And I would always (laughs) be like, very mistaken you know like it was a very hateful hateful journal like i was um i was very mean to myself i struggled with like self-harm a lot at this time um i had always when i was young um but i never knew until i went to therapy that hitting yourself was a form of self-harm I don't, I don't know why that never clicked for me, but I would do it a lot. And especially when I was getting really drunk, um, I would just like break down, you know, and I would hit myself. I would just do all these things. I'd wake up with bruises. Um, it was just an awful, awful like time where I was just really nasty to myself. And I would spend hours just looking in the mirror and just, I don't know, like taunt, like this, this drunk side of me was just so evil. Like it was just taunting every single time I looked in the mirror. It was just like telling me all the things that I would never be telling me, like all the struggles I would have to go through just to get anywhere in life. And, you know, it, it like really like tricked me, tricked me a lot into thinking that I couldn't do it. You know, it, like put this weight on my shoulders, like, you know, is coming out for a third time really worth all of this, you know, that you would have to go through. Like, finally, I went back to therapy after like a little gap without it. And I like told her like the rundown of everything. I was like, listen, (laughs) this past however long that I haven't seen you, I did a lot of soul searching. And I think I figured some crazy stuff out. And she was like, she was like, oh my God, like, that's a lot. Like, and you did that all on your own? Like you unpacked all that? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going crazy over here. Can yeah, you help right, me out? Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so like from there, she helped me out um, to get started on tea and everything. Um, so I started tea December 5th, 2019. And that I was is still like testosterone for those who may yes. be listening and do not know, right? Yes. And and is that a is it pill form or how do you how do you take I I take mine as a injection. Okay. So I inject myself weekly. Got it. And uh so that was like a that was a big thing to kind of get through yeah. and I was just like, Oh my god, I've gotta yeah. do this like this is a lot, you know, and it was scary, but I was definitely like growing in like my fear of it once I started. 
mm-hmm. I was just like, all these things hit me that I don't think I like, I know I thought about it before, but I don't think it like hit me the way that I like got hit with it after. So like, I'm still passing enough to like go into the ladies room and everything yeah. before quarantine hits. Okay. So then quarantine hits and I'm just like, Oh my God, all these things. Like I'm when I get out of here, I'm going to have to use the men's room. Like, like I started growing facial hair, like all these things hit me at once. And I was just overwhelmed. I don't remember what happened, but like one night I just got super, super drunk. And I like, I hit myself really hard. Like I busted my chin open Mm. and I, Woke up the next morning alone. Alicia had gone to her parents' house, um, and I was still pretty drunk and hungover. And I was just, like, confused. But, like, something was just weird. Like, something was pulling me and just, like, telling me to kind of go to my library, you know? My little office, if you will. Yeah. And... I like just kept going in there and like forgetting why I was in there and walking away. And then I just kept finding myself in there over and over and over again. And eventually like I, my eyes just like made their way to my tarot deck and um, inside of it was just like a few little crystals. And, um, you know, I just like grabbed it and I was like, Hmm, you know, I'm all alone. What else am I going to do? So I figured I'd pull a card and I pulled one and well, I didn't even get to pull one. It kind of jumped out of the deck and it was temperance, which is moderation or abstinence from alcohol. You know, it stands for those kinds of things. And I was just like, Hmm, well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? You know? And it like, kind of hit, hit me weird. And I just kind of hung on to it. This is like my sign, you know, like I'm, this means something, you know, I I don't ever feel this feeling. And I think I should listen to it, you know? So I tried, um, tried really hard to like stay sober on my own for that point. Um, so I would like do a lot of meditating, um, connecting with the crystals that I I had found. And then I like got really into like working with the crystals in terms of like an aid in my sobriety. Um, and uh, like a month into being sober, I relapsed and it just kind of defeated me um, mm-hmm. in a way. Like I just, I like felt like really excited for once you know that I was actually getting somewhere and I felt just super down about it afterwards and I just didn't feel like I was there was any point to keep trying but I still did you know I still was like this is something I need to do like I gotta try but I wasn't very successful I'd say like for a year I just was going through this cycle of one day just 
always turned into like two weeks, which always turned into like months before I realized what I was doing again. You know what I mean? And then it's like you stop the cycle again and then it's just back. You know, it's it's like if until you get to that point where you're ready to actively dedicate yourself to making the decision to stay sober every single day, it's not, it's just hard. It's just too hard to get through it. It's just everywhere yeah. you look, you know, so it's really hard to quit it. It really is. Um, for a long time, I think that I started drinking again and just was okay with it because I thought that starting tea, I would just kind of magically kind of figure life out, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. And just like things would work its work itself out. But I still struggled for a really long time. And it's um Alicia like helped me start like getting serious about top surgery because that's I was just getting really upset with um just my body, you know, like I didn't I like that was one of the things that became worse after starting to you was like the dysphoria and just hating this shell that I was living in for the time being like my crystals kind of like sparked this idea for me to like start spiritually stoned and I used like all of that to raise the money to get my surgery done I think that drinking was just helping me too much um, through like the physical aspects of my transition in order for me to like let it go. Like it was really hard for me to just be present with who I was uh, at the time, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. Once I got tap surgery, I feel like, I kind of started getting that confidence back that I like was hoping to get. And I think I had another little sign from, from some spirit guides or something. And I got, I ended up getting COVID um, and I had to be off of work for two weeks and I couldn't do like anything at the time, you know, like I couldn't drink, couldn't go to the, I couldn't go to the store to get my booze. I couldn't ask somebody to go do it for me. You know, I was at, at this point, like really hiding my drinking. Like once I started trying to get sober, I really, really was like a closet drinker. I keep expecting to wake up one day and not, not want to drink. And I'm not there yet, but I actively am every day dedicating myself to living my best life and trying to make sure that nobody else makes the same mistakes that I did because I, I really, I don't regret everything that I went through because I learned a lot from it, but I feel like I could have gotten a lot further in life if I had my head on straight for most of it, you know? I have to be careful about that thought as well, Bree. And I think that, you know, would we be here without all of that shit, you know, mm-hmm. that we've been through and that short, sort of shape us as people and, 
you know, you, you sort of have this calling to want to help people and whether it's in the recovery space or the queer space or whatever it may be, people will hear this. And I'm certain that, um, you will help people. So just know that and, and just know that it gets easier every day. What do you hope that people hear from you on the podcast today? I hope that especially queer people, queer younger people specifically, um, know that you don't have to like go through this intensified struggle due to alcohol or another substance while you're already going through something so hard and like so courageous every single day. Um, you know, you, you can get through things with just reaching out and supporting each other and you get so many hands of support back just by, just by like being vulnerable and putting your story out there. So if you're struggling and you don't, know where to turn just reach out and that's like the best place you can start most of the time brief surma thank you so much for your courageous story and putting your guard down and, and stepping up today and i appreciate your time i look forward to keeping in touch and we've got some other things in the future that we're working on together so uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. This, this story is not ending yeah. here. So thank you Heck so yeah. much. <laughs> All right. I'm excited. I'm, I'm thankful that you had me. I really appreciate it. Wow. Such a powerful story. Thank you so much, Bree. Thank you for listening today. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at the sobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast and on Instagram at the sobriety diaries pod. Check back every Wednesday and Sunday for new episodes. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends.